Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, be, word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Good morning. We are some of the members of the book club that met um, every other Friday evening, facilitated by Pastor Bob. Um, we studied the Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, um, by Brenda Salter McLean. Um, one of the themes I think that went throughout the book um, was how lasting change can happen in our lives in light of reconciliation. And I think um, really at the end of the day, all of it is reconciliation. Um, it usually starts with an event which could be massive or that little um, nudge that God gives us on our heart which challenges our thinking, our assumptions, our perceptions. But I think what happens next, right, is really what we choose to do with that. So as I reflected on the scripture that Danielle read, Mary had a choice. Um, so I thought about what could have helped move her from the fear that she initially had to the yes that she was willing to say. And I thought maybe it was the assurance that God was with her. So the question we were asked was, how have we experienced the presence of God with us? And obviously, I've never had the whole angel situation, which would be nice, right? Because that would clarify a lot of things. Um, but there's certainly been a lot of times where I knew God was asking something of me, whether, again, it's a big situation that rocks our city or our world, or whether it was something more personal where God just does that little lovingly annoying poke at my heart. Um, and as I looked back over those opportunities in my life, I thought my choice in that moment made all the difference. There's too many times where I've ignored it and just stayed stuck either in my comfort or in the friction or the fear of the situation. But the times where I was able to surrender and say yes, the hard situation was still there, right? Just like Mary had a... <laughs> crazy adventure ahead of her, um, but I found that the friction and the fear cleared, and I realized that God's presence was there all along, and I was able to now walk through that situation with peace. Let's pray together as we begin to hear from God from his word that was read this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for our worship, 
for our capacity to come together in this beautiful place, in this gorgeous city. And Father, we lift up uh, who we are to you. We surrender ourselves to you this morning because you have a call on our lives. You have a call on our church. You have a call on our sister churches around the city and around the world this morning to be ambassadors of your kingdom in a world that sorely needs his people, your people, to minister and to be present among the hurting. So Father, we thank you for the words of these songs we've sung. We thank you for the scripture that we're about to hear from. And uh, we want to surrender ourselves to you this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, folks, let's hear it for this worship team that is putting together these songs each week in the wake of loss. And uh, I'm just so grateful for all of them, and I appreciate you so much. And I tell you what, the angels this morning, hark the herald angels sing. And even in our first song, the Lauren Daigle song, talked about the angels singing. The angels are indeed singing in this advent of 2022. We are looking at Christmas each week uh, through the words of God's divine messengers. That's simply what angels are. They are divine messengers. Somebody say messenger. And they often appear in this Christmas story. They, they appear so often and they're often singing. I love that. Hark the herald angels sing. They're singing throughout the Christmas story. In church, if I were a proper artist, Troy, if I were a proper musician like Troy, I would make Advent into a musical. And we would dance around this place uh, in, in choreography that really looked sharp. Uh, there, are, there are five songs, Nayla, recorded in the first two chapters of Luke. Five songs. They're already written for us. Uh, and, and I love this. Angels are singing. People are singing back. It's like footloose in a divine context. Now, I saw when I was a child, this is going to date me a little bit, but I saw the movie Fame. Anybody remember the movie Fame? It's been remade, too. So some of you have seen it and didn't know there was an original, but there was, right, Mary Lou? You and I saw that. Um, right before I went to high school, Kern, I saw uh, fame, and I so wanted to go to a school where music would break out at any provocation. I wanted to go to a high school quarry where we could dance on cars at lunchtime. I wanted to go where we would skip school and play guitar in the subway and get credit for it. I thought that would be so awesome. People breaking into song at the slightest provocation. And Luke, that we've been in for these first two weeks of Advent, Luke is just like that. Angels singing to God, singing messages to people, people singing back. And the lead singer at the beginning of the nativity story is Mary. And I love this from Luke. Luke, uh, by the way, is the uh, most prolific writer of the entire New Testament because he wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and that dwarfs the number of words that even Paul wrote. He is the most prolific author of the New Testament, and time and time again, in a highly patriarchal society, he features women in front leading the charge. And it begins here at the Nativity with our lead singer, Mary. And church, something happens in this very first Christmas uh, that changed our planet and turned history on its head. Because in this text that we've heard, seen read, and, and in the, the text to follow, we, we see that the birth of Jesus is a, begin, is, is a new beginning for all of humanity. And as in creation, just like creation in Genesis 1, where the Spirit moved and gave birth to light, here in this new creation, the Spirit moves in the womb of Mary to form the one who is to be the light of the world. 
And we see those parallels here. And don't miss this context. It, it's so easy in the Christmas season, isn't it, Richard? Way in the back row. I love you back there, Richard. But pay attention in the back back there because there is, there's no precedent. Here's our context. There is no precedent in the, uh, the world of antiquity, no precedent that's, that's followed since. There's no precedent for conception without a human father. And Mary, in our story as we read it today, Mary is a virgin. Don't minimize that context here. We tend to just kind of blow right by it, sing about it, but it is formative in where we are headed today. And for instance, one day C.S. Lewis, as the story goes, was sitting in his office in the English department when a colleague who was an unbeliever walked into his office uh, and they were, there were carolers uh, in the courtyard below singing Christmas carols. And uh, they, they could hear in the office one of the carols they were singing contained words about Jesus' virgin birth. So the unbelieving friend said to C.S. Lewis, isn't it good that we know better than they did? And Lewis says, I don't know what you mean. Well, isn't it good, he said, that we know now we know more than they did, meaning the biblical writers. And Lewis says, looking puzzled, I'm afraid you'll have to explain. And, and the guy just says it clearly. He says, well, isn't it good that we now know that virgins don't have babies? And Lewis looked at him incredul incredulously and said, don't you think they knew that then? He goes on to say, this is the whole point. Virgins don't have babies. Now, there's more context here. Luke writes in a way that we can grow our faith, give it room in our hearts. When we do, we will find change. It, it, it will grow our faith in ways that will amaze us. No matter how many Christmases you've been through, and I've been through more than anybody in this room, I think. It can grow us up. Watch this in verse 26 and 27. Luke first, he wants to make sure that it's rooted in details, facts, and history. Verse 26 and 27, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy in Nazareth. So we've got a time, we've got a date, we've got a place. Luke is very careful with this. He starts in, in verse 1 and 1, but we're not going to go back there. Now, in these verses that, that you see on the screen, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel shows up by name for the second time in the Bible. We saw him first in, Dan, in the book of Daniel, where he was an interpreter of visions. Here he is sent by God to marry a virgin engaged to be married to Joseph, who is a descendant of King David. And Gabriel greets Mary with these words, verse 28, take a look. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And that's my title this morning that I'm modifying a little bit. Watch out, the Lord is with you. Because this word favored, church, is used just one other place in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 1, where it's about you and me. It's about free bestowal of grace. You are favored with God's free bestowal of grace. The only other time that word is used. That's the way Paul uses it. And here, the very first thing that this angel says to this ordinary girl from, a, from an obscure town, as one commentator puts it, a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere, the very first thing the angel Gabriel says to this teenage girl is you are about to receive a free bestowal of God's grace. You are favored in the sight of God. And we see right away, right away that the bestowal of God's grace, the bestowal of God's favor can be deeply unsettling. Somebody say unsettling. You ever feel that unsettled? Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled 
at his word. And the angel figures out that he has scared the heaven out of her. And he starts over with this teenager. Verse 30, first part. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. So what is she afraid of? In part, of course, it's the mere presence of an angel, as, as Melissa was alluding to, like, you know, the angel would be a good thing, or, or would it, right? I mean, it, it'd be scary, right, to have the angel show up. But I think her fear is even deeper, Corey, because she's, Mary knows about angels from the Old Testament story she's grown up with, and she knows, she knows that when an angel shows up in the scriptures, it's really not for happy hour. Uh, when an angel is declaring the favor of God, it's not about an award ceremony. Mary is not about to get some sort of plaque in her honor. She knows that this presence of the angel, she knows this is going to involve a calling because the declaration of the favor of God is, it always brings an assignment. Somebody say assignment. That's why Mary is, is troubled because she doesn't know what's next but she knows something's next. And write this down, Grace. If you write nothing else down today, write it down that the favor of God brings an assignment. Let me remind you of that in our lives as a church, in your life as an individual, in our life as a community family of God, the favor of God brings an assignment. And, and let me remind you too, you can be the subject of the most extraordinary favor of God and still be scared out of your wits about what that will lead to. Amen? You can be the subject of the call of the most high God and still be confused about your assignment. He's not always clear. We can have that word with him when we see him. Now, let me show you, let me show you this uh, in this specific text. Gabriel, in verses 31 to 33, take a look, tells, tells her the specifics of what's coming. You will conceive and give birth to her son. And he tells her five specific things about the baby that she is going to bear. And I want to I review these five things with you real quick because this is, this is this baby that we're greeting in just a few weeks. This is what Advent's about. This is what we are expecting. First is this. He says his name is to be Jesus. That's simply, Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent. It means savior. It means deliverer. This is the first definition Gabriel gives. Before anything else, he says, your child, Mary, is going to be the savior of all, the savior of the world. Secondly, he says, he will be great. No other greatness in the world will compare to him. And as we find out and go on in the scriptures, in Luke particularly, he'll be great in his life. He'll be great in his death. He'll be great in his resurrection. He'll be great in the church. He'll be great in his ascension. It'll go on and on, his greatness. Third, watch this, he will be called the son of the most high. Why watch that? Stay with me. This, this baby is deemed to have everything that God has. Are you with me? He ha his nature, his being, his prerogatives, his, his very essence. He will be, as Paul puts it in Colossians, the very image of the invisible God. That's who he is. Now watch this. Believers like you and me, are you ready to put this on? Will also be called children of the most high God. Luke, Luke chapter 6, take a look at it. Your, your reward, your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high high just like jesus you have a seat at the table fourth he says he will sit on the throne of david he wants to highlight his lineage the final fulfillment of old testament prophecy finally this his kingdom will never end church this baby that we await in advent is to be our forever god somebody say forever 
And there's significance to this, and I hope you see it, because his kingdom is in place right now in Baltimore City in 2022. This is his kingdom. He is reigning. What an incentive to leave this place this morning and continue to press on in living for our Savior, these five characteristics. Well, can you imagine? I mean, it's a lot for me to take in. It's a lot for me to preach. I could, I could, we could do sermons on each one of those five things, couldn't we, Gordon? Probably have in the last 13 years. But it's so much for Mary to take in, isn't it? This teenage girl, can you imagine? She's taking all this in. This is going to be her baby. So much specificity, and yet she remains scared. She remains confused, much like you and me, as we go on our journey with Jesus and hear his call. So it is worth learning from Mary in her response to this overwhelming divine message from the, from the angel, angels we have heard. And I'm seeing Mary's part of the dialogue as I prepared uh, in the last couple of weeks. I'm seeing her part of the dialogue through the grid, this overlapping formula that scripture, scripture often cites through heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm not even going to go in that order, but I am going to operate from that grid in a different order. And I want to recommend it to you this morning as you take this in, as you take some notes, as you make mental notes. I want to rec recommend that you think of your response to God's call on your life through that same grid. What is my mind telling me? My heart, my soul, my strength. What strength will I bring to bear? I want to recommend it to you because you are the children of the Most High. So here we go. The Lord is with you, but watch out as, because he's with you. Watch out. First of all, Mary engages her mind. Somebody say mind. Now, I want you, do you see this? Mary responds with her intellect. She is profoundly thoughtful. And we must know, church, we must know that faith is not defined ever, ever by some sort of thinking that says stop thinking and just believe. It's never defined by that. Engage your minds. Let me be clear, even more clear. Thinking and having questions is not the same thing as doubting. It's not even in the same family of things. It is part of engaging our minds. Clearly here, Mary doesn't know everything. She's scared. She's confused. And she has questions. Look at verse 34. How can this be since I am a virgin? That's a decent question. And listen, it's not so much doubt clouding her mind. It's, not, it's, it's curiosity. How will this happen? We, I, do, I was in the restroom before church, and uh, I, I come up to the sink, you know, do the soap thing. comes automatically. I don't know how it senses me there, but it does, and I think it will unless it's empty. And, but then I go, and I hold my hands under the faucet. Now, I've been in that restroom 100 times, and uh, I hold my hands under the faucet just waiting for it to come on. You ever do this? Is this not just me? I think it's just me. Like, I've missed some training. But I really missed it because I hadn't engaged my mind enough to know that there was actually a button you needed to push. So I was waiting for something that wouldn't come because I didn't know how to do it. We do this all the time. I don't know how a light switch, when you turn the lights on, it comes on, but, but it, it does. This is where Mary is. How can this be since I'm a, a virgin? All of us, church, have questions and issues that... that that may remain open to ponder until we see God. There are questions, I'm sure, if we surveyed this room, questions you have that i got to ask God that when I see him because I just don't get it. Like, I'm going to ask him about mosquitoes. Like, like why? Why? To feed spiders? Really? I mean, come on. 
So Mary engages her mind throughout, throughout the Gospels. I just want to illustrate this. Her mind is at work. This is one sharp young lady. In chapter 2, we find this. Take a look. Uh, the shepherds are declaring uh, what's coming. We're going to preach about this later in Advent. They're spreading the word, what has been told them about this child. All who heard it was amazed. Verse 19, but Mary, they're all amazed. They don't quite understand. Mary treasured it up, pondered it in her heart. And this is where mind and heart overlap. I get it. But she's pondering. Ponder is a, is, a, is a mind word. At the end of the chapter, take a look. Jesus is now a 12-year-old at the end of Luke chapter 2. And uh, he's disappeared from the caravan as they head home. And, and uh, they're searching for him for days and days. And finally, verse 49, why are you searching for me, Jesus said. The 12-year-old Jesus, got to love it. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And I'm thinking Joseph and Mary. And they're going, well, no, we really didn't. I know you're only 12. They, verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and mind. I'm overlapping this, I know, but you get it, I hope. Church, listen, Mary's blessedness does not mean full understanding of the divine story, but it does, but it does bring the full engagement of her mind. She understood Jesus at, at times no better than the rest of us. Her 12-year-old, what is he doing? But, but what she did not understand, she pondered. She thought about, she treasured it. Perhaps we can learn to do this too. I recommend it to you. Engage your mind. Tr treasure, ponder the difficult divine truths that come your way. This is a part of grown-up faith. Ponder, think, engage. This is why we have small groups. It's why we have book clubs. It's why we do these things so we can ponder together. Secondly, Mary engages her heart, and I see this defined primarily by her humility, and I recommend it to us as well. It's very striking. Did you notice that there is no command for Mary to obey here as we read this scripture? There's no command. There's nothing she must do other than consent. Frederick Beekner Chinway wrote about it this way, and I know this is Chinway's favorite theologian, so um, that's why I said that, and he is, he's awesome. But Beekner wrote about it this way in a devotional uh, story. Let me just read it the way he wrote it. She, this is Beekner's words now, she, Mary, struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named. We've seen that. Who he was to be, something about the mystery that was about to come upon her, and says, you mustn't be afraid, Mary. Watch this. And as he said it, Gabriel only hoped she wouldn't notice that beneath his great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation now hung on the answer of a girl. I love that. She only had to consent. And Grace City, Jesus sometimes leads us this way. Not to be pawns on God's chessboard, but to sacrifice our plans, our goals, in order to go places we would never go without him. Have you ever thought about that? Where would you go that you would never go without Jesus? That's a question. Where would you go that you'd never go without him, but you're willing to say yes? Yes to God. So she's thoughtful. She's humble of heart. And finally, Mary engages her soul, responding 
in the strength of faith despite the cost. Soul and strength here. It's costly. The word that Gabriel brings her here is a dangerous word. Look at the situation through Mary's eyes one more time. And I know you've probably done this before through the years, but I want this Advent season of 2022 to remind us of that old, old story and fill us once again. Look at this situation through Mary's eyes. We know that she has the deck stacked against her in a variety of ways. She is economically on the margins. She is a victim of racial discrimination because she is a Jew living under Roman occupation. She lives with gender discrimination in a highly patriarchal society of which it's hard for us to imagine. But let me give you an illustration. Every day, a Jewish male in synagogue would give thanks to God that he was not born a Gentile or a woman. This is the kind of discrimination that Mary was living under. And now she is hearing something that will add enormous weight to all of that, that will, that will times it by a million, something to add to this list of obstacles because the stigma attached to a single mother in that society was life-threatening. Can you put yourself in her place with all those obstacles? Now, the death penalty was rarely enforced for adultery in first century Israel, but it was still on the books, and we do see it being pursued in John chapter 8. So it's there, and it's frightening. But the stigma that comes with it, that would always come with it, is frightening. Now, engagement to Joseph, engagement in that society meant more than it does now. It's called betrothal. Vows had already been exchanged, and they were already sacred. So how was Mary to know if, if Joseph would understand? And if any one of us was in her shoes, we might well have said to Gabriel, I'll take a pass. I'll take a pass on this. This is too much. I'm only 13, 14. I mean, really? Really? I'll take a pass. But she says in verse 38, take a look, and don't miss this. If you, if you memorize a verse from, this, from the uh, Christmas story, memorize this one starts this way. I am the Lord's servant. Her life's at risk. Her reputation is about to be demolished. Her in, the engagement to, to, to love of her life is, is on the abyss, at the edge of the abyss. And she says, may it be to me as you've said. I am the Lord's servant. And listen, listen to me. It's not because there's some great earthly reward being promised to Mary. There's no plaque <laughs> at the end of this. There's no financial reward. When Mary sings her song of liberation and revolution that begins in verse 46, which we're not preaching uh, today, um, but this is uh, the Magnificat, that this is Mary's song, this is her response, where she details the great things God has done, his mercy, his mighty deeds, feeding the hungry, lifting up the humble. This is a song that was banned in many societies throughout history because of its, its uh, progressive nature and its revolutionary nature. When she sings this, None of it changes her state, right? She's still under all those obstacles. She's still poor. She's still under Roman occupation. She's still the victim of gossip. She's still under an oppressive patriarchy. So why is she exalting? Because she believes. She believes. And here we find something invaluable about the nature of faith, church, her part in this is to say yes to God, to courageously accept the summons that comes because everything else is done. Everything else is ready. Everything else is prepared. It now lies in her yes. 
And it still lies in your yes and in my yes. When God says, favored are you, let's get busy. I have an assignment for you. It lies in her yes. Watch out when God comes. So within this grid of heart, soul, mind, and strength, Mary's greatness lies in two dimensions. One of them we share and one of them we don't. We don't share in this dimension. Mary is the unique mother of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And Elizabeth recognizes this that Kristen preached so well about last week. Elizabeth recognizes this. She says in verse 43, take a look. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That is a unique position for Mary. Every follower of Christ, all of us can say this of Mary and be thankful to God. Because I want to go back to this context of the virgin birth for a minute. The virgin birth that Mary consents to, that she says yes to, this is what made possible. I want to get theological on you for a minute, so so lean forward and be with me. This consent of Mary's is what made possible uh, the uniting of the full humanity and full deity in one person, and that defines our history. This is what turns history on its head. That's why the virgin birth matters. It takes us to the very heart of the identity of Jesus. As Karl Barth puts it, he was the real son of a real mother. And then as Matthew puts it, using the other Christmas name in the Gospel of Matthew, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Real son and real God. And yes, of course, there's been other prophets and kings, but none of them appeared on the stage of history like this, human and divine at the same time, united in one person. This is and it must be God's initiative. Because look at verse 37, and I want to use the RSV instead of the NIV right now because I just like it better. Uh, Verse 37 sums up the possibilities. Nothing, nothing, somebody say nothing, is impossible with God. Amen? Can Can you get inside that this advent of 2022? At the same time, church, there's another dimension of greatness that all of us share with Mary, and I want you to go home with this today. Something happens here, Grace City, that can happen in any one of our families, and many of you have experienced this in your own way. When one or another member of the family becomes more prominent than the others, the rest are defined by their relationship to him or her. Have you experienced this? Like William Henry Gates was a well-known attorney, philanthropist, and author, but he'll forever be known as Bill Gates' father, right? Uh, Tina Knowles was a very famous fashion designer, but she's far better known as Beyonce's mom. And many of you know me better as Jess's dad or Cole's dad or Sarah's dad because we get defined by people in our families. And the story here rapidly moves even before he's born from Jesus being known as Mary's son to Mary being known as Jesus' mother. And this is, this is great because the family line takes a turn that all of us get to play a part in. Mary has heard this angel. Angels we have heard. She has heard the angel describe who this baby will be. She walks into it with a yes, with a purpose. And Mary, in her faith, joins Jesus' family and shows the way, Mary Lou, for all of us to join Jesus' family and have a seat at that very same table. Somebody say amen to that. That is really good news for us today. Elizabeth calls it out. Take a look at verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Church, this morning we stand in the same place as Mary. 
and we can listen thoughtfully, we can count the cost, and humbly take God at his word, mind, heart, soul, and strength, that this Christmas baby is God's forever king. We can embrace Jesus as Lord and join the family of God. Somebody say amen. That's the greatness that we can all share this morning. And when you do, when you do, if you never have, when you do, just like Mary, you become part of Jesus' family. That becomes your true, authentic, forever family of origin. You become daughters and sons of the most high God, favored by him, partakers at his table. Watch out, church. The Lord is truly with you. Well, as the worship team comes up, I want to say this about what we're about to do here in our worship. We will share the bread and wine in a few minutes, and we'll be reminded of all that was to follow for this baby. The only one ever born with the express purpose of dying a sin-bearing death for all humankind. And the gospel story that follows Jesus from birth to death to resurrection to ascension that gospel story never changes, it never wavers, it heads in the direction of this communion table that we're about to celebrate. Now, Grace City, our faith, listen to me. Our faith is never about doing more, trying harder, being nicer, giving more. All those things are fine. Anyone can do those things. Our faith, let me back up. Those are the mistaken perspectives on Christmas and the church and on faith. That's the world's perspectives. Try harder, do more, believe, believe more. That's not what it's about. Will you just surrender trying harder this morning? Put your hands up for a minute if, you, if you're willing to join me. Can you surrender trying harder? Our faith is is about being like Mary in verse 38. Look at it again. I'm the Lord's servant. I don't know what's coming or how it's going to happen, but may your word be fulfilled in me. Mindfully, humbly, courageously saying yes to God and then letting him bring Christ to birth in us. You know that's the way this happens, right? Philip Brooks Carroll said it pretty well. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen? That's what faith is about. Don't try harder. Say yes. Well, the Lord is with you, Grace City. Can you say yes to him this morning? I want us to stand and we're going to sing King of Kings. Uh, this song takes us from, from the uh, incarnation, the baby born, all the way through uh, uh, later times, and uh, I want you to sing, sing this as, as a gospel song this morning, and then we'll come back and we'll share uh, the Lord's Supper together. But come on and sing, worship team. <laughs> 